Luke 19. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that, Lord, you would help us to see the meaning, to understand it. And not only to see it and to understand it, but to run with it. Lord, help us not to leave it on the pages of Scripture. Instead, help us to apply it to our life. We know that you're at work in us, that your spirit is active. So bring conviction, bring encouragement, build faith in our hearts. Help us to see where you're working. Help us to be sensitive as we hear this story, as we read your word, to what you want to do in us. And we give you thanks, Lord, that you're actively involved in our lives. And we give you thanks for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The same way you might do whatever it takes to push through a crowd at a concert just to get to the front, the same way you might do whatever it takes to do that, The most hated man in Jericho wants to see Jesus, and he will do whatever it takes. Now, if you've ever wondered what Jesus was about, if you're curious why followers of Jesus are so crazy about him, or if you've ever wondered how you can experience all that Jesus offers, then this story in Luke 19 is for you. Let's read it. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There are four things I want us to see here today. One, whatever it takes. Two, an unexpected guest. Three, total transformation. And four, whatever it takes. First, whatever it takes, climbing a tree to see Jesus. Now, that's what Zacchaeus did. You probably know this story. You might be familiar with it. If you've been a part of church uh, for any length of time, maybe you've heard it. And if not, that's okay. But this, this story is special. Kids love it. Coloring books endorse it. There are children's songs and rhymes about it. It's, it's a colorful story. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he can't see over the crowd. He can't see through the crowd. Now, maybe the crowd's bullying him. We don't know all the details. We know that he, we're told that he's, he's a short man. But listen, He was a wealthy man, and he was a a man of position and authority, and usually people would get out of the way for a person like that, but he was not a respected man, and and we'll learn more about why he wasn't respected in Jericho in in a few moments. 
But he wants to see Jesus so bad, he is desperate to see Jesus. He does something potentially embarrassing to himself and for sure culturally unacceptable. No grown man, no wealthy man would do what he he does. He climbs a tree. Did Zacchaeus hear about Jesus, the friend of sinners and tax collectors? I'm sure that he did. What potential hopes were swimming around in Zacchaeus' heart and head? He had heard of the kingdom of God. I'm sure there was this anticipation building uh, in in, uh, seeing Jesus and hearing him proclaim the kingdom of God. He had heard of Jesus' claims. Jesus went around preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, he preached the reign of God is, is present, is active, and he proclaimed a kingdom. And I've said this before, wherever there's the proclamation of a kingdom, well, there's a king. So Jesus is the king, the Messiah, uh, the, Jesus the Christ, the king of the kingdom he's proclaiming. And so undoubtedly by this time, Zacchaeus had heard the claims of Jesus. He had heard uh, the, uh, the stories of Jesus showing and demonstrating the kingdom. Uh, Jesus' power over sickness and death and sin and evil. And, uh, and now he's here and he has to see Jesus. You ever been there? Not in Jericho, climbing a tree. But have you ever been in the place where you, you had to see Jesus? You would do whatever it takes to really grasp and understand this Jesus. Maybe you've heard about Jesus for a time. Maybe you grew up with the stories of the Bible, and now you're trying to put them together, piece them together, and you're trying to figure out, what does this all mean for my life? Maybe you're in that place. Maybe you're beginning to realize the only way to see Jesus and experience all that he has for you is actually to do something potentially embarrassing. It might even invite some ridicule. Maybe you're beginning to realize that it will definitely get uncomfortable for you in order to really see and experience Jesus. It's going to require you stepping out of your comfort zone. Maybe your presence here today at local church St. Pete is your attempt to climb a tree to see who Jesus really is. If it is, I respect that, and I'm glad you're here. If you're going to seek Jesus out, it will require some things of you. It will be costly, no doubt about it. What will it require? Well, it requires humility. It requires earnest desire. It requires a willingness to actually look foolish, It requires the willingness to endure whatever ridicule might come your way for pursuing Jesus and seeking him out. It requires courage to push through whatever obstacle might be standing in your way to see Jesus. And it required that for Zacchaeus. There were obstacles in Zacchaeus' way. And he pushed through those obstacles because he was desperate. He would do whatever it took to see Jesus, to hear Jesus. What obstacles are are in your way? What are some common obstacles that we might face? What about indifference? Have you ever considered indifference as an obstacle? This kind of, eh, Jesus is on the sidelines. He's more of a peripheral thing. He's not really central. This indifference to the pursuit, it's an obstacle. It really is. What about laziness? Just that unwillingness to be stretched, to do the hard thing of pursuing and of seeking. What about 
the distraction, the endless distraction of entertainment. Just we're going about life, entertaining ourselves to death and living our life day to day. And it's easy to be distracted by work, by entertainment, by stuff of life. And we can just go on that way or we can see it as the obstacle that it is to push through courageously and humbly. There's other obstacles. I think of fear. I think of certain sins that we want to hold on to. We find a lot of pleasure in and we're not willing to let go of. These are just examples of potential obstacles that you're facing, that we all face. But maybe there's one in particular that the Lord, even now by his spirit, because I believe that when you hear the word of God, when you read it, God is active. There might be something he's putting his finger on. There might be something he's showing you that you need to courageously and humbly push through. All right, back to Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. That's what we learn about him, which means he is the man in charge of the region. He had others under him. He was the boss. And he was a Jew who worked for the government of Rome. Now, this job came at a high cost. It came to the highest bidder. And so what would happen is they would take in more money than Rome actually required in order to pay their salary. Tax collectors were not liked at all. They were seen as traitors, working for Rome, thieves, taking more than they needed. And so here he is, the chief tax collector. He's wealthy and he's hated. And to the people, Zacchaeus is a coward at best. He's a traitor because he's, like I said, collaborating with Rome and he's a thief. So socially, this man is an outcast. He's not welcomed into really many circles. Religiously or ceremonially, he's unclean. Associating with Rome, he's not welcomed into the local synagogue. He is an outcast. Now, Zacchaeus had his own circle for sure. He ran with other fellow outcasts. He was deeply entrenched in this corrupt system that robs and steals and takes advantage and oppresses. How do I know that? He's the chief tax collector. I want you to think about a person that you know who is oppressive. They're actually someone who is deceitful and can't be trusted. Now, this could be someone you know personally. It could be someone publicly, a politician, somebody that uh, may be a public figure. But that person's decisions, that person's behavior, their policies have impacted you negatively and maybe financially. So those feelings that are kind of moving around in you, multiply that by like a thousand for the people of Jericho. They did not like this man. Jesus is passing through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and Luke uh, goes out of his way to remind us again and again that Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem because it's in Jerusalem that he will accomplish this great salvation, this great deliverance. So he's heading, he's almost there. He's heading through, he's just passing through Jericho. And Jericho had an old city, and it had a new city. And so here he is, walking through the city of Jericho, same location there, but archaeologists actually consider Jericho to be the oldest continually occupied city. It's fascinating. It's also an oasis in the Judean desert. It's also the lowest city, the lowest city on the globe, 850 feet below sea level. So Zacchaeus is a symbol of corruption, of earthly power and authority, but he's also the ultimate outcast. 
Jesus is about to invite himself over to the house of the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low, located in the lowest city in the world. And that's what we see. Number two, an unexpected guest. Jesus invites himself over. Let's read about it again. Verse four. So he, Zacchaeus, ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree and to see him, so for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. We'll pause there. What's happening? Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, so he climbs a tree. Jesus saw, or he looked up, and, in, uh, and he saw Zacchaeus and invites him over, himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And the crowds, actually, we, we'll find out later, they see what's happening, and they're just really not having it. There's a lot of seeing going on here. And as you read Scripture, it's important when you see repeated themes and words to highlight those. There's a reason that that's happening. The beginning of this story, there's a man seeking Jesus. At the end of the story, we find that Jesus was seeking him. So here's there's this seeing going on. I, just, I love the way this story just begins to unfold. So matter of fact. And it's as if Jesus actually went through Jericho for this reason, to seek out Zacchaeus. I believe that this was really the reason why he's making his way through. When the crowd saw Jesus stop at the tree, what was going through the crowd's mind? I think they might have been thinking about this. Oh, Jesus is going to let Zacchaeus have it. Because we know, I mean, we know Jesus isn't down with uh, oppression and injustice. We know he's not okay with those things. So, man, he's going to le- just listen to this. Ready? Look at this. He's calling him out. And that's not what they hear. Instead, they hear Jesus say, hey, Zacchaeus, uh, I want to come over. They were 100% totally shocked to hear I must stay at your house. Note that Jesus took the initiative. Jesus pursued Zacchaeus. The implication of what Jesus is saying, inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house, remember, Zacchaeus is a social outcast. He's religiously unclean. So here is Jesus, this traveling rabbi, this teacher, and and Jesus inviting himself over. The implication is that they're going to have table fellowship. Now, table fellowship is more than just sharing a meal together. It's identifying with one another. It's befriending each other. It's spending hours together. That's what Jesus was about to do with Zacchaeus. And the crowds couldn't handle it. They're like, what? Are you kidding me? Jesus, you're going over to the most oppressive man in our city? to dine with him, to have table fellowship, to befriend him, what are you doing? What are you doing? So they're angry. They're grumbling. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's exactly what he did. Jesus went to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus has gotten ridiculed before for doing this sort of thing. You know that, right? If you've been following along in the Gospel of Luke, this isn't the first time he is um, ridiculed for eating, and for associating with those on the outside. And we shouldn't be surprised. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, Jesus' first sermon as he's launching into his public ministry. What does he say? He quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim gospel 
to proclaim the good news, good news to the poor. He has sent me. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus knew what he was sent to do. He was fulfilling the prophet Isaiah. The crowds, if they were aware of that sermon, if they, were, if they had thought about Jesus' ministry, were thinking, okay, you came for the oppressed to set them free. But this is an oppressor. What are you doing? And so when we read verse 5, back in Luke 19, I want us to consider the emotion and the shock, the wonder that filled Zacchaeus' heart. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. What? I'm sorry, what did you say, Jesus? Zacchaeus was equally as shocked as the crowd, though he was not angry. It says that he received him, he received Jesus joyfully or cheerfully. Okay. You want to, like, like now? You want me to, you're coming over my, yes, yes, you can do that. Yes, yes, be my guest. So Zacchaeus responded to Jesus' invitation. We see it, and it's important for us to see how Zacchaeus responds. He responds wholeheartedly, sincerely, and enthusiastically. Yes. Joyfully. Jesus is asking Zacchaeus to welcome him in. Jesus is asking Zacchaeus to show him hospitality. He invites himself over. Who does that? College students do that. I'm just messing with college students. It's true, though. Um, Jesus has been inviting himself over ever since. (laughs) Jesus has been pushing through every boundary, every obstacle, whether it's social, religious, cultural, personal. He did it in his public ministry. He continues to do it by his spirit in the lives of individuals today, pushing through every boundary, every obstacle that we can imagine in order to sit down with us, in order to be a part of our lives. It's true. The question is, have you welcomed him in with joy. Have you? Okay, so Zacchaeus, he he hosts this banquet, this party, this dinner party, and what was the conversation at the table? What was going on? You can be sure that Jesus shared the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, this is what Jesus proclaimed. I I told you that. You see that in the Gospel of Luke. He proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It's it's present. I'm sure there was a lot of conversation about the kingdom of God, the rule of God. I wonder what knowledge Zacchaeus had about John the Baptist's ministry. Don't forget, Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is on the scene. He is the forerunner. He was preparing the way for Messiah, for Jesus to come on the scene. And his message was a message of repentance, a baptism of repentance. They would go into the waters of baptism and identify uh, with what John was proclaiming, the need to repent. Now, what is repentance? And we'll get to that in a moment. I want you to see 
uh, some of what John was preaching. Because I think some of this may have been in Zacchaeus' heart. He would have been aware of it, I think. But look with me in Luke chapter 3. We'll start in verse 8. We're dropping in on John the Baptist and his preaching. Remember, he's preparing the way for Jesus. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, Oh, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowds, they asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Look at verse 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Plain and simple. Live this, live this newfound joy and generosity out. Live this newfound repentance, this understanding that now you're called to live and to, if you're part of the kingdom, to, to show this, to, show the, to embody the characteristics of the kingdom that you're a part of. On the ground, where you live. I wonder if Zacchaeus was aware of this message. Regardless, whatever the conversation was around, whether they're talking about John the Baptist's message, whether he's talking about the claims that Jesus was making about himself, I can only imagine that there were moments in the dinner, in this time of table fellowship, uh, as things are happening and, and, and food is being served, that Zacchaeus is looking over at Jesus thinking, how? How did we end up here? How did I find a place at a table with Jesus? He's humbled. And it leads to total transformation. That's number three. Total transformation. Actions that demonstrate faith. Look with me in verse 8 of Luke 19. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. More time passes than we realize between verses 7 and 8. We don't have all the details of their conversation, but we have enough to arrive at this beautiful conclusion. Zacchaeus responded to Jesus with repentance. Now, what does repentance mean? Repentance is a change of heart. And not just your organ, the heart here. It's the seat of your affections. It's who you are. You're the, the center of who you are. You know, with all my heart, I love her. With everything in me, it's the everything in you, part of you. His heart had been transformed. But it showed itself in his actions. And, and repentance always does. When you repent, you're sorrowful for your sin. You're, when you repent, you're sorrowful for your, your rebellion or your, your, your brokenness or your, your decision to do your own thing and ignore God's law and God's way. And you're, you're owning up to that and you're saying, oh, I repent. I, I, I own up to this. That I've rebelled against you. I've sinned. I, and I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't want to live for other things and put them in the center. You belong there. That's repentance. 
And in order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to be saved, a lot of different ways of saying it, you must repent and have faith. Two sides of the same coin. You repent, you own up to the fact, and you believe, you embrace what Jesus has for you. And we, we see the fruit of repentance in Zacchaeus right here. There's a change. It involves restoration with God, but it involves restoration with others. He's making things right because he's been made right. He stood up, which implies he's about to make a formal announcement. I love this. Zacchaeus is about to go public with his convictions. He stood up. Now imagine the table. Zacchaeus looks good. He's a man of wealth. He's standing there. He's got his, he's got his clothes on. Maybe there's a little music playing. He's got his servants. He's got his family around the table. He's got his crew, you know, the guys he runs with and guys that'll run with him. And he's got Jesus, maybe a few disciples with Jesus. We don't know. But listen, he's there and he raises a glass. He's about to say something. Every eye is on him. And they're wondering, what's he going to say? He's probably going to honor Jesus. And he says, he says this. He says, what, if I'm giving half of everything I have here and now to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay them back four times. If he had he had and he was willing to pay back four times the amount what's going on here we are given a glimpse into the transformation that faith makes in the life of a new believer that is what's going on here we are giving we are given like a little window into the transformation that faith in Jesus makes in the life of an individual it looks like a lot of things this transformation that he's working in us for Zacchaeus, it looked like, well, doing something different with your, your money than you've been doing. Living differently in light of who Jesus is and, and his grace on your life. So oppressor turned to what? To, to advocate, to benefactor. Stingy man turned to what? Gracious man. So d does your life, does your life reflect that you've encountered the generosity and benevolence of God through Jesus? And are you willing to make things right with others because you've been made right with God? God's grace towards Zacchaeus produced a response of grace in Zacchaeus towards others. I want you to think about the impact this had on all of Jericho. Salvation is personal, but it's also public. It is layered, and it, and it should influence everything about us. So, so think about this. Zacchaeus, he lets go of his riches. He lets go of what defined him, and he's willing to face all the ridicule of this new decision. Why? Because Zacchaeus found something more valuable than his possessions or his position could ever have offered. And so... He begins to demonstrate, embody the characteristics of those who are part of the kingdom of God. What are we witnessing here? Hey, listen, church, we're witnessing a camel going through the eye of a needle. That's what Jesus said, remember? A couple chapters before, he talks about how the rich, really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. And then he says it's easier for the, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And people are like, <laughs> that's impossible. Yeah. 
Impossible. The disciples start to get all uneasy. They freak out. Well, how can anyone be saved then? And Jesus says, well, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. We are witnessing a camel going through the eye of a needle. We're witnessing the response of a grateful heart. We're witnessing one who has embraced what it means to truly be forgiven. I want you to think about the ongoing sacrifice that it would have required for Zacchaeus to live out this newfound faith in Jesus. Do you think that it was business as usual for Zacchaeus when Jesus left town? No. And it shouldn't be business as usual for any of us. When we encounter the grace and the love of God, when we we are the recipients of his his, uh, mercy, it's not business as usual. Never will be again. Zacchaeus is still going to have to face the angry and confused crowd. He's going to have to face their disdain for him and their unbelief that, yeah, he's really changed. Oh, sure you have, Zacchaeus. Mr. Oppressor. He's not leaving town with Jesus. He's not going on to Jerusalem. He's going to live out his new life right there in Jericho. And hey, listen, we're called to do the same thing right here in St. Pete. Zacchaeus had his day. He had his time. It's our turn. It's our turn to live it loud, to go public with our convictions, to be faithful, to embody what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a part of the family of God, to be faithful, to to, to live this out publicly and let the truth of our salvation spill over into every area, every sphere of life, finances, our relationships, what we're pursuing, what we're giving ourselves to. Well, finally, whatever it takes. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to see Jesus. Jesus would eventually climb a tree so that we could see. Not an actual tree, but a cross that was made out of wood. Jesus, though, before he does that in Jerusalem, before he leaves this party, he makes his own announcement. What's he say? Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What's Jesus doing? He makes this public announcement today. When? Right now. Salvation has come. Well, what's that? That promised deliverance that Messiah will bring. It's come to this house. Since he also... Zacchaeus is, is a son of Abraham. You are part of the family of God, in other words. You are, you have a renewed identity. Yeah, you were an outcast. You were the the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. But listen, Zacchaeus, your lifestyle, uh, what you were doing before, it was no match for my grace. And and now you're a a son of Abraham. And everyone there would have been like, and, and, and Zacchaeus probably thought, never in a million years would I expect to hear what I just heard from you. And imagine how how he must have wept for joy. Jesus is validating Zacchaeus' newfound faith. What does it mean to be a son of Abraham? It's another way of saying you're part of the family of God. Israel began with Abraham. Israel came from Abraham. All right? So to be a part of the people of God, how do you do that? Galatians goes on to tell us how. It is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. 
Galatians 3, verse 29, if you are Christ, if you belong to Jesus, you are Abraham's offspring. Not a blood thing anymore. It's a faith thing. You're a part of the people of God. It's always been a faith thing. So, verse 10, if you ever wanted a clear mission statement for why Jesus came, it's this. For the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, and that's loaded, don't have time to get into it. The Son of Man came, okay, to seek. Learn something about the character of God. We learned something about the missionary heart of Jesus. He came to seek and to save the lost. That is why Jesus is on the scene in Jericho. That is why Jesus, the Son of God, God took on flesh, took on the stuff we're made of, skin and bones. He entered our broken world. He entered our sin-sick world to come and seek and to save the lost. That's his reason. So Zacchaeus, he climbed that tree to see Jesus. Jesus would climb a tree. He would bear a cross for us. He would die on the cross so that we could see. But do you know, church, that Jesus faced the ultimate ridicule, the ultimate humility, that Jesus, he faced the greatest obstacle that you and I could ever face. He faced the greatest obstacle that stood in our way. Our sin, our brokenness. He bore our sin in our place that we might be justified, declared right. And by faith in that work, we are forgiven and reconciled to the Father. We're welcomed in. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He pushed against the greatest obstacle. So tell me what obstacle is too big for him. You cannot show me an obstacle that he cannot overcome. Freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, a restored relationship with God. What does that do to us? Do you want to see Jesus? Will you do whatever it takes? What obstacles are standing in your way? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Do you see that Jesus has already done all that it takes, whatever it took to reconcile us to himself? So that there is no obstacle too big for us by his grace and strength, to push through. Have you joyfully received Jesus in your life? Are you humbled by the fact that you're seated at the table with him? We've heard that before. Oftentimes, Jesus would compare uh, the, the kingdom of God as this great banquet. There's room at the table, and you're invited to sit with him and experience this life and hope and joy and peace that reconciles you to the Father and then spills over into all of life, every area. Have you experienced that? Are you like Z, Zacchaeus? I've been calling him Z all week. Are you like our boy Z, who is sitting there with Jesus and thinking, how did this happen? And that's a good place to be. And do your actions demonstrate it? Is your life being transformed by grace? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful story of transformation. And thank you that you haven't stopped there in Jericho. 
Thank you that Jesus went on to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And that here we are thousands of years later and we're invited now to sit and to feast with Jesus. Many in this room have done that. Lord, I pray that you would drive these truths deeper into our hearts and that you would help us to see where we're not living consistently, where we're not living lives that reflect that we belong to you. And where that's happening, would you graciously show us and lead us to places of repentance for our good? And But for others who have climbed that tree, who are uh, trying to get a sneak peek at Jesus and they're just here trying to piece it all together, Lord, meet them right today, right now where they are. Help them to see that, that Jesus came to seek and to save them and invites them right now, invites them to dine with him into relationship and has provided a way for that to happen. Amen.